sermon passage for this morning is 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing the seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who knows the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So now, Father in heaven, this is our prayer. In the name of Jesus, we ask that you would speak your word to us today. In the name of Jesus, we ask that you would cause us to hear what you are saying and to receive it in faith. In the name of Jesus, we are asking that however we entered this room, doubting, hurting, broken, sinful, ashamed, that we would leave this room clinging to Christ and believing that He is the answer. We are confident, Lord, not only that You work through Your Word and You work for Your people, but that You are eager to work in this gathering right now. So, Spirit of God, we pray that You would do just that, that You would work in power. Lord, would you speak to us today so that we would see Jesus and have hopeful, confident faith in him. And we pray all of this for his glory. Amen. If you haven't already, please take your Bible or one of those under the chair in front of you and turn to the book of 2 Timothy and chapter 2. So our normal mode of preaching here at Redeemer is just to work our way through books of the Bible. And so today we come to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Now here, or chapter 2 and verse 14, what Stephen just read for us. Now, here's the challenge of this passage. As we said when we began 2 Timothy, that sections of this passage are written by a pastor, Paul, to a pastor, Timothy, about pastoring a church in Ephesus. So particularly, this passage is primarily written by a pastor, to a pastor about pastoring a church. But I'm here to tell you that what he says is very appropriate and tangible and meaningful and relevant to me as it is to you. 
that we all need to hear and believe and be ministered to by what Paul is saying in this passage. And so, here's what he says. Perhaps you're like, man, I don't listen to sermons and I certainly don't listen to you, so just give it to me straight. Here's what he says. If you're in Christ, God approves of you and God wants to use you. Here's what he says. If we're in Christ, God approves of us and God wants to use us. And for whatever reason, when I talk to Christians, many of us struggle to believe both of those points. Many of us struggle to believe that if we're in Christ, everything that we have ever done, every thought that we've ever thought, every word that we've ever spoken, was seen by God, poured upon Jesus, and forgiven. Sorry, that trickle you hear is the baptistry. That's not a leaking pipe. Don't know what to do about it. Um, so just go with it. Or am I the only one hearing that? I saw some faces. Like, I, I hear the water running. Yeah, that's what it is. Um, so, that's what Paul is saying in this passage. That if we're in Christ, we're approved by God and we're useful to Him. And I run into so many Christians who walk around with guilt and shame and fear, struggling to believe that God would approve of us, and more than that, struggling to believe that God would use someone like us. The essence of the New Testament is that Jesus built up a band of misfits to change the world through the power of His Spirit. And so I want you to believe today that if you're in Christ, you're approved by God and you're useful to His kingdom. Now our friends who might be here today, maybe you're just here to observe, maybe somebody drugged you here today, maybe, but you're, you're definitely not identifying with Jesus. Here's what I want you to hear. In Christ, God will accept you. And in Christ, God will forgive you. And in Christ, God will use you. And you're invited to Jesus today. And that's the main point of this passage. Now let's go digging through the passage and see if that's what Paul is saying. And so I, I've structured this to focus more on us and less on, less on the pastor part. And so the first point, if you are a note taker, should be on the screen. Our needed foundation. Our needed foundation. If we're to believe that we're approved and accepted because of Christ, then we need to know that Jesus is our foundation and that Jesus is a foundation that is unshaking, unbreaking, and unchanging. That if we're in Christ, the foundation is firm. And so we pick up on this beginning in verse 19 and moving through 20 and 21. So we're going to start there this morning. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. Now, you don't have to be a Greek scholar to understand what Paul is saying. There is a foundation of God's which endures all things. 
And a building upon a strong foundation is very likely a strong building. And the foundation of we see as storms sweep through towns and sweep through cities, that the foundation is that which stands. And what Paul is saying is God has a firm foundation. And then he says the foundation bears this seal. And so in the time that Paul was writing, you know, they didn't have the, the signs that go out by the road, float 20 feet in the air and turn on by a switch at night to glow, right? To say like, church here. So they would often inscribe on the corner of the building, church. Whatever the building was, its name was inscribed upon it. And so what Paul is saying is that God has a firm foundation and this is what's inscribed on it. The Lord knows those who are His and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Let's take those in turn. Foundation truth number one that changes everything. The Lord knows those who are His. In the Scripture, when we see the word knows as it appears right here, this does not mean cognitive knowledge like the Lord knows the facts of that you exist. That's not what it means. Knows is a word of intimate love and commitment. And so what we're told here is that the Lord knows His children. He knows His children because He made them. And He knows His children because He set His love upon them. He knows His children because His Son Jesus died for them. He knows His children because His Spirit drew them to faith. And He knows His children because they are now united with Jesus. So often we picture our faith as this. Broken people clinging to God. Hurting people clinging to God. Doubtful people clinging to faith. But really, the picture of the gospel is a sovereign, powerful, creator God clinging to His people so that they are safe and protected. The Lord knows who are His. And this is the building stone of our foundation. Paul said it this way earlier, if you want to turn over a couple pages, to chapter 1 and verse 9. Paul said, I'm suffering for the gospel by the power of God. What's the gospel? God saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace, which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So what Paul is saying is that God set His love on His people through Jesus. And if by the power of the Spirit, you've been brought to repent and believe of your sin, you've been brought to believe that Jesus came and lived and died for you, and you've confessed that, and you are walking in that faith, what the, Paul is saying is that you are in Christ because God knows you, and God loves you, and God will never let anything snatch you out of His hand. Our foundation is built upon this truth. The Lord knows those who are His. And nothing will separate us from God if we are in Christ Jesus. So hear this. God knows His children. We don't have to earn His attention. We don't have to earn His favor. We don't have to earn His forgiveness. We don't have to earn His mercy. We don't have to earn His blessing. He knows His children. 
and He delights in them, and He is for them, and He is with them, and this is the seal of our foundation that is in Christ. There's a second piece to it. Paul says, Let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. And I think that believe, that means let everyone who calls on Jesus fight against sin. Now sometimes Christian theologians in the blogosphere and on Twitter and on Facebook make our faith harder than it has to be. And there's a current debate going on about whether or not we should tell Christians to stop sinning if everything is covered in the blood of Jesus and it's all by grace. And I submit to you 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19. Let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. And let's not overthink the faith. Jesus died to change who you are. If you're in Christ, you are a new creation. If you're in Christ, the old is gone and the new has come. And it would be the will of God that by faith in Jesus and by the power of the Spirit, you would fight against sin and no longer let it dwell in you. And I love when the Bible is so clear that it just undercuts all of our philosophical banter. I just love it. So lest you think I'm making too much out of one verse, I could give you a hundred of these, but I'll just give you one more. Turn over to 1 John chapter 2. First John chapter 2. John writes, my little children, which means Christians. I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Do you hear that? John is saying that it would be the will of God that the children of God, by faith in Jesus and by the power of the Spirit, would fight against sin. Now hear this clearly. Character and behavior do not earn God's saving grace. Character and behavior are the fruit of one who's been changed by Jesus. Let's go right back to 2 Timothy 1.9. God saved us not because of our works, but because of His purpose and His grace. But those who know Christ are called to turn away from sin and to fight against sin so that we would glorify God in this world. Christians don't make peace with rebellion against God. Christians don't make peace with rebellion against God. Yes, we're flawed. Yes, we're broken. Yes, we're sinful. Yes, none of us are perfect. But Christians who are redeemed, who belong to the Lord, who know the Lord, do not make peace with rebellion against God. I'm just going to pause for a minute and let it get uncomfortably silent for a second. Is there a space where you are making peace with rebellion against God? If so, Jesus would call you. He would call you to repent and to believe, to ask the Spirit to change your thoughts and your minds and your words and your actions. Now, we're only building a foundation because a house is going on the foundation. That's verses 20 and 21. And there's something really interesting that Paul tells us about the house. Everyone who belongs to Christ in the house is holy, is useful, and ready. So here's what he says. He says, if you go into a house built on a foundation, the foundation is the Lord knows his own, and let those who call on the Lord depart from sin. And then he says, look, in a house, there are vessels of gold and silver. That, are those, that means those that are pretty and expensive and more celebrated by the world. 
And there are also vessels of wood and clay. That's those that are cheap and easily, readily available and easy to get your hands on. But notice what he says. It's not what you're made of that makes you honorable or dishonorable. It's to whom you belong. So think about this. If you invite me over to your house for the Super Bowl, it's most likely that you're going to feed me on a paper plate and I'm going to use the bathroom on a piece of porcelain. Right? So the point is that the value is not in the material. And the value is not in that which the world would value, but the value is in do we belong to the Lord. And the passage says, everyone who has turned from the dishonorable to the honorable one and been made honorable is holy, useful, and ready. And so what Paul is saying is, if you're in Christ, whether you're made of clay, wood, silver, or gold, you, by the power of God, are holy, which is a Bible word that means set apart for God's good purposes. If you're in Christ, God has set you apart for His good purposes. We are useful, which means that if we are in Christ, God desires to use us in an honorable way for the building of His kingdom. And we are ready, which means that we are able to bear fruit. Think about this. Think about this. If we're in Christ... Jesus has declared us holy. Jesus has declared us useful. And Jesus has declared us ready. So many of us, and I say this from a pastor's love, so many of us walk around with our tails metaphorically stuck between our legs, ashamed of our past, Shame of what we, the, the answers that we don't know, believing that we got to clean ourselves up before God would ever dare use us to build his kingdom. And that's a lie. It's a lie from the pit of hell. And I would point to you, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 and 21, that if you're in Christ, you are holy. That's set apart for God's good purposes. You are useful to His church, useful to His kingdom, and ready to bear fruit. And the biggest barrier in most of our lives is believing that God has declared us holy, useful, and ready. So I challenge you today, will you walk out of here believing that God has declared you holy, useful, Hey, Dave Wilhite, could I challenge you to um, make it colder in here? It's right back there. Thank you, brother. As long as it doesn't blow up, we're going to clap for you in just a minute. Just tap the center of the screen. There we go. Okay. I could try to do it on my phone while preaching, but that would be a train wreck. We don't want to do that. Is anybody else hot or is it just me? Everybody, everybody say, yeah, 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 yeah. At the bottom of the steps right there, it's cold. So if y'all want to rush, there's room for about three of you right there. Um, okay, um, but I want us to believe that we're set apart, useful, 
and ready. And I believe that most of us just don't. We've been duped. We've been told a lie. This is what we want. Now, some of you might be sitting here saying, well, I know that. That's the gospel. That's what we believe, yes. But Paul would argue that you never outgrow this truth. And you never become so sophisticated that you don't need to hear this truth. Look back at verse 14. He says, Remind them of these things and charge them before God. Now, the version of the Scripture I'm using, the ESV, somewhat misses the sense of the verb remind them. The the NIV actually gets it more accurate when it says, keep reminding them of these things. Keep charging them before God. Meaning, these truths we need to hear over and over and over again, implied because we forget them. Implied because we fail to believe them. Implied because we continue to stumble and trip up on the same things. I believe that Satan is the most uncreative being anywhere in the earth or under the earth or above the earth because we continue to let him use the same game plan over and over and over again. And so Paul says, continue to proclaim these things. The message version of the scripture, I think, nails it even more accurately. Don't hate me. Don't send me a text message. Repeat these basic essentials over and over to God's people. What's being said is we need to hear this again and again and again. If I'm in Christ, God knows me, God loves me, God will never leave me, God will never forsake me, and He has set me apart to build His kingdom, to build His church, to love others, to be useful, and to be ready. So what we're being told is that in Christ we have been declared approved and useful. So today, I just want to ask you, will you believe that this is true of you? If you're in Christ, will you believe that this is true of you? Will you pray as if this is true of you? And will you live as if this is true of you? Now, what verse 14 tells us, and this gets to our second point, is that if we want to be pushed toward our needed foundation, we need instruction. And that's the second point this morning. Our needed instruction. There's an instruction to keep our faith focused upon Christ. And this instruction comes to us in the Word of God. So look at verse 15 with me. Well, actually, let's go back to 14. Charge them not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. So Paul's saying there's certain church talk that actually is destructive. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. And so that phrase right there, rightly handling the word of truth, it literally means making a straight path to the truth. Making a straight path to the truth. So if your favorite Christmas candy is back there at the double doors, and there's only a limited amount, and you're not allergic to anything in it, are you going straight down the aisle, or are you going around? 
You don't have to fight me. I'm taking Stephen Carlson down. I'm throwing Dave Wilhite an elbow, and I'm at the doors. Right? And so what Paul is saying is make a straight path to the truth. Rightly present God's word to God's people where they hear God, they hear God's gospel, they love God's son, and they follow God's spirit. Guide them to the truth. We need God's word. And we're told, if we keep reading, that that through God's word we'll avoid heresy, we'll flee youthful passions, we'll pursue righteousness, and we'll avoid empty arguments. But what we need for all of that is God's word. So I'm asking you, will you believe that you need to hear God's word clearly and simply and rightly where you can meet with God? And then what do you need to change to make that right? Look, if you're coming here and we're not giving you God and God's gospel and God's word, you need to stop coming here or get me fired or get your Sunday school teacher fired. But you need God's word. If you really believe that there's this sure foundation and the only way to build upon and rest upon the foundation is the word of God, what are you willing to change to get more of God's word where you meet God? Perhaps you'll set an alarm. Or perhaps you're like me. We have like 10 different alarms at our house, and none of them work. So here's my new idea. What if you offered to pay your kids to wake you up at a particular time? I think it would only take a quarter. Kids are like, yeah, I love the pastor today. Make us money. Quarter's a lot of money, kids. Huge. I listened to a podcast recently, and there was a guy that felt like he was using social media too much and not being productive. And so he hired an administrative assistant for $15 an hour, and her only job was to punch him every time he went to Facebook or Twitter. So literally, she sat beside him for two weeks with the assigned task to punch him. And so it was three weeks, it was 21 days to sit beside with the assigned task of punching him anytime he went to Facebook or Twitter. Do you know what he didn't do for 21 days? Go to Facebook or Twitter. It cost him however much she made, and he broke his habit, because science says it takes 21 days to break a habit. Now, if you need that kind of help, I'm in. Just let me know where to show up. My kids, my wife, that's, that's five of us. We're, we're in to help five different families all over Redeemer. But in all seriousness, if we need this instruction, what are we going to change to build our lives around the instruction. Paul thinks that that one thing we need is is the right leadership. Paul thinks that one thing we need is the right leadership. So this might be humbling to us, but Paul tells Timothy that the Ephesians need Timothy's help to be pointed to this word. So remember we said Timothy is a letter by a pastor to a pastor about pastoring a church. Well, why would, a, why would a pastor write a letter to a pastor about pastoring a church except that people need pastoring? And the purpose of pastoring is remember Jesus, remember his word. And so the very things that make us accepted and approved are the very things that make pastors accepted and approved. And so notice the checklist for Timothy here. Number one, Timothy. Rightly handle the word of truth. Give God's truth plainly. And in so doing, 
You are approved by God. Later, he says, don't be quarrelsome, which means to pick fights. He says, be kind to everyone, which is the opposite of quarrelsome. He says, be able to teach. He says, to patiently endure evil. And he says, to long the gospel for others. So give the truth plainly. Long for God's approval over man's approval. Don't be quarrelsome. Be kind to everyone. Be able to teach. Patiently endure evil. Long the gospel for others. So verse 15 is rightly divide the word of truth, rightly handle. Verse 15 is seek God's approval, not man's approval. Verse 23, have nothing to do with quarrels and being quarrelsome. Verse 24, be kind to everyone. Verse 25, correct with gentleness. Verse 25, be able to teach. And verse 26, recognize that some of your enemies might become your brothers. Now there's a connection between these, and I think it boils down to the approval. What Paul is saying to Timothy is long for God's approval more than man's approval. Long for God's approval more than man's approval. Because the key to giving the word clearly and plainly and not scratching people's wanting ears is to long for God's approval more than people's approval. The key to not being quarrelsome, but being kind to everyone, even those who are unkind to you, is seeing that you need God's approval more than you need their approval. Because see, if I need your approval and you're unhappy with me, then we're going to have to quarrel till I can make you happy with me. But if I need God's approval and not your approval, I can choose to be not quarrelsome and kind to you. In the face of hardship, be able to point others to Jesus. In the face of hardship, endure patiently. And in the face of hardship, long the gospel for others. What Paul is saying is that the church needs leaders who love God and love God's Word and love God's people more than we love anything else, particularly the approval of our church. And what Paul is saying to you is you need leaders who lead you like that. Now this is a humbling thing for me to stand up and say, but here you go. If we don't lead you like that, fire us. If we don't lead you like that, start a kind and gentle revolt. Maybe put a few smiley face emoticons in your email before you send it, okay? Or don't, I don't know. What Paul is saying is that godly leaders are a gift to God's people to point God's people to God's Word. And we need such leaders. So long for leaders who seek the approval of God over anything else. Set yourself up with leaders who seek the approval of God over anything else and who do so through His Word because this will be good for the church and for you and for the world. So Paul says we have this amazing calling. It's a calling to a sure foundation 
to sure instruction, and to faithful leaders. We have a needed foundation, we have needed instruction, we have needed leaders. And what Paul says is that in all of that, we see Jesus. And if we have Jesus, we have everything. So what I want to say to you today is do you believe that the Lord knows those who are His and that He calls on everyone who names His name to depart from iniquity? And if you do, will you receive it? Will you live as if God has declared you holy, useful, and able? And will you go running into His Word and running into His church and running to be teachable and directed toward Him? So God, we pray now that you would continue to teach your people. Would you take whatever's been said in this that is true and right and good and just, and would you speak it to us? Would you help us to know your word, your goodness, your kindness, and your mercy? Would you restore in us joy-filled hearts that seek after you and bear much fruit. At this time, each Sunday, we take the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is a reminder, a piece of bread and a cup that remind us that Jesus' body and blood were poured out and spilled for us and that everything that matters about us is defined by Jesus. Do we belong to Him? And if we belong to Him, we take the bread and we take the cup is a celebration of what He has done for us. So here, Redeemer, anyone who is a Christian, who's professed faith in Jesus for salvation and made that known to the church, we would invite you to take the bread and the cup with us. If you're here today kind of checking out Christianity, you have questions to ask, not sure where you stand with Christ, I would say, hey, let's let the bread and the cup pass. But today, you can come to Christ. Today, you, while these are being passed, you could pray something like this. God, I believe that you're real. I believe your son Jesus came and lived and died to die and pay the penalty for sin like mine. And I'm asking you to forgive me and receive me and accept me. If you were to pray something like that today, I would love to talk with you about that after this service. So we all have some work to do with the Lord as the bread and cup is being passed. We'll sing together, and when I come back, we'll take the bread and cup together.